owner stuck in fear, doubt, and worry about what the marketplace will look like in the future, then this show is for you. Strap on your seatbelt and get ready to disrupt and innovate. Here's your host, Lisa Levy. Welcome to another episode of Disrupt and Innovate. Today, I'm introducing our guest, Rachel McCrary. She's the founder and CEO of Gather Labs, the first vertically integrated high-complexity CLIA laboratory to offer same-day lab results for over 100 diagnostic tests. As a seasoned entrepreneur and innovator in the challenging fields of both technology and fashion, Rachel has harnessed her passion by creating practical products and solutions to fill the gaps in many core consumer experiences from post-surgical recovery to same-day lab results processing. She is a trusted startup advisor, a mentor, board member, and an executive who works closely with startup accelerators, investors, and private equity funds. Rachel has won 15 pitch competitions, was named one of LA's 100 worthy women, and has accumulated several awards for business, disruption, and visionary leadership. I think you all understand why she's here with us today. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. Good morning. Good morning. I always read a bit of a bio, right? It gets the framework and it sets the tone, but that's not the interesting part of the story. My audience would really love to hear about your journey and how you found your way to what you're doing today. Will you take us up through that experience? Yeah, sure. That's a long story, so I'll try to make it quick. So originally I was a classically trained fashion designer, but I was always an entrepreneur. My mom always says I, I came out of the room with an idea. Uh, I remember having companies in high school, I could call them that. I just had ideas and uh, would just sort of like, um, you know, just bring it out there. I call entrepreneurship in my world, having an idea in your stomach and then bringing out out so that other people can see it. So, you know, whatever that looks like, whether it's small or big. So I, I always did, did that. I went to college in San Francisco. I was a fashion design major. I always loved lingerie and the little details. I always loved tiny little things and, and all the little like elastics and lace and details that went along with that. And I always thought that the female form was beautiful. And I was just kind of always, I, I was lucky in the sense that I was born knowing that I wanted to do that. So, you know, I was always uh, kind of, they call it like hustly. That sounds a little unpolished to me. I, I kind of say I was resourceful. So I put myself through college with three jobs and then moved to New York with a hundred dollars. And my first job five days later was an assistant at, at Victoria's Secret, strangely enough. So I worked my way up, you know, in the corporate world. I loved it. I learned a lot. And one of my uh, bosses actually thought it'd be a great idea for, for us to start a company together. I was enamored by her. You know, I always say if she if she told me to jump off the Santa Monica Pier, I would have done it. Um, she was just like one of those people that had infectious energy, you know, kind of right and left brain, taught me everything, but in a fun way, never talked down to me. You know, so we started a business together and created some junior lingerie for a very large billion dollar corporation uh, that gave me the thirst and the bug for entrepreneurship. You know, when you have your own company, you know, you work more hours than people with a corporate job, uh, but you have more freedom. I always say, you know, do you value stability or freedom more? And there's nothing wrong with either answer. We're just built that way. So once I kind of got that taste, then I knew I wanted to build startups and learn everything I could about it. So for the next decade, I built different um, startups in Silicon Valley. Some worked, some didn't, uh, but they all, all work. Like Rick Rubin always says, failure is a stepping stone to get 
where you're going. It's information as an education along the way. Going backwards, the woman that raised me was a world-renowned scientist. Uh, Dr. McCrary was a marine biologist and sort of no secret or strange. It's not so strange that, that I ended up here. I was raised in a lab, different kind of lab, but by an incredible woman who was the first woman to get a PhD in science in the state of North Carolina. At the beginning of the pandemic, some friends of mine uh, and some of the plastic surgeons I was selling one of my bras to, I invented a bra for post-op after you have breast augmentation. They asked me to help them get PPE and COVID tests. So uh, let's see, that was around three years ago. So they asked me to help. I talked to my friends in Hong Kong, like most fashion designers. We had most of our career in Hong Kong and China. So we had contacts there. I was just being a volunteer and helping source things and help and just adding value where I could. And then long story short, like saw some room for improvement in the laboratory space, Uh, saw that there was room for tech and hospitality. And I was surprised to see that there were, there were very large companies that weren't utilizing tech in a way that I thought might be helpful that had almost no patient care, almost no hospitality. You know, we've all had that experience. You walk into a lab, name, date of birth, insurance, they don't even look up at you. So, you know, that's why people don't really, you know, spend a lot of time getting diagnostics. Diagnostics are really cool and they're amazing. Getting information about your own body is empowering and can not only save your life, but on on the micro can help you receive a vitamin or a supplement or something that can help you feel better. We're all trying to feel better, have more energy so we can do more and more things in our life. So you know, what if there was like a faster, easier way to get diagnostics? So Gata Labs was born by building a high complexity CLIA lab where we have the same instruments as large like corporate labs, but we changed the tech, hospitality and speed around it. So in the industry, this is a disruptive mindset. You are shaking things up on purpose. I would like to think so. Oh, take a bigger swing at it. This is something from a patient experience that gets information that can be critical in the hands of the patients same day. Yes. And sometimes even in a few hours, our most recent focus, uh, you know, with the rise of dating apps, we all have more, more sex partners than, than we did 10, 20 years ago. Uh, they say it's four X to where it used to be in some groups that's, that's even 10 X. So, you know, making it easy, fast and fun for, for us to get SCI tested makes it easy and comfortable people do it for people to do it more often. So when you open up that conversation to just say, Hey, this is okay. Like take the stigma around it. And what if it was just super easy and took four hours and was affordable, like people would get tested more often. So we see that that's the case. And that's one of our focuses. So that, that, that is a disruptor, you know, at least in our area. And then also for thyroid metabolic panels, um, hormones, testosterone for men and hormones for women, when we don't feel good because our hormones are off getting that as fast as possible is a priority. You kind of can't really think about anything else until it's fixed. We've all had that feeling also UTIs. So, you know, getting things in a few hours, you know, as you say, is a true disruptor. So in this model, do patients need doctor's orders to have access to the tests? It depends on what it is. Uh, And, and we do have a way to do that vertically uh, if, if they don't have a primary care physician. That was one of the problems that we wanted to solve. 50% of Americans do not have a primary care physician. So we have a way to have a third party provide one for them in a, in a seamless way that's super quick, uh, you know, if they don't, because that's actually a barrier to entry to getting diagnostics. 
It absolutely is. And so I'm going to wager just a little bit of a guess that that experience is probably a telemedicine type experience. So it's easy, it's fast, and it's convenient for the patient. It can be, yes. It's up to the patient. Yes. Absolutely. So in this, did you intend to disrupt laboratories or were you just solving a problem? In the beginning, um, when I was working with with the COVID products, I was just trying to, to, to be helpful and volunteer and add value. I thought it would just be a couple of months. I think we all thought it would be over, you know, sooner than it was, you know, as it grew and grew and grew, my business partners and I were like, well, this is taking up like 90 hours a week. We need to somehow, you know, make it into a business. Um, at the time I was working on uh, PE ways, E ways for COVID products, helping source different componentry for serological tests and antigen tests, helping with clinical trials. I had a natural knack for that. I have a photographic memory. I don't know if it was from being around Dr. McCurry my whole life, but that came really, really easy to me. Uh, made sense. My brain works in that linear way. So I was offered a few positions as CEO of, of large biotech companies, you know, product development, things like that. Part of it was I'd already had a degree, uh, um, a career in product development and um, a real, and also like, how do I want to spend my time and, and where's the biggest opportunity and where can we add the most value? And I really saw the traditional lab. Everybody was scared to touch it. You can't disrupt plus in lab work. Um, we just assumed that, that, that lab tests take a long time. And that however long it takes is just the, the task is so complex and that's how long it takes. But when I learned that that's actually true and a lot of the instruments take a couple of hours and if we can just add, you know, tech and hospitality and the right team and empower our healthcare workers, uh, I saw that as an opportunity. I found that a lot of the healthcare, healthcare and lab workers clock in, clock out, weren't really treated as, as employees of value. Um, you know, didn't really get the same, you know, business information. The business team was separate. So I saw an opportunity to elevate healthcare and lab employees to create an elevated patient experience. Patients feel when they walk in how the staff is treated. We've all been to a hair salon where there's an undercurrent of weird energy and it makes you not want to be there. Um, we've all been to doctor's appointment where everyone seemed overworked. It makes you not want to be in there. It makes you feel bad for them. So adding that layer with an easy opportunity since, since, there was a lot of room for improvement with tech, with hospitality, which is the way that it looks. I saw that that was the biggest opportunity for disruption. It was also the scariest. Some people told us that we couldn't do it. I'm very negatively motivated. So as soon as you tell me I can't do it, I'm all over it. And I had already had product product companies. So I wanted to have that experience in my career of, of a service business. My advisors and investors, some of my investors, my previous company uh, came in. They thought that my, you know, different lens of having product development and marketing and experience would would add a different a different value than the way traditional lab owners were sort of looking at it. Of course, of course, we hired scientists and lab professionals to to do all of that. But you know, the CEO doesn't run the samples, you know? So I optimize profits, margins, operations, and run legal and finance, and then also uh, manage the marketing team. One of the things in that thread that is so interesting, and it's a common piece of the story that I hear from many people, right? In that space where you're being disruptive, coming in into an industry without the formal training in it, you don't know what the expected limitations are. And so you find innovation in the ability to simplify because you don't know what you don't know, and it's actually a strategic advantage, right? So going into the lab, not understanding necessarily all of the nuances of the way they've always done it and the outdated arcane reasons that they've always done it that way, 
you had nothing but the ability to be clever and creative and improve the overall experience, which touches the, the patient and every employee in the life cycle. So I love hearing stories where we come from a different background into something new and how we find what I call elegance in the simplicity, because the processes and the procedures that have been evolving over decades are probably over-engineered. And that's where that extra time gets lost. So you cut through all of that noise, which improves the patient experience and the employee's involvement and engagement. It's fabulous. Thank you. I have conversations a lot with you know, partners and, and providers for, for instruments or, or things that we use. And they're like, oh, well, that takes a long time. And I'm like, why? Why does it have to? And I always like try to find another logistical way to, to do it in a different way. Caveat that once the lab opened a year and six months ago, it had already been working on the COVID tests for a year and a half, like 60 hours a week. So as far as, you know, spike proteins, molecular processing, patient care, the instruments for that, the landscape for that, FDA, CLIA rules for that, I did have some, some experience in that. And then learning it about every, all of the other tests, you know, is still something, mm-hmm. something, something that I'm working on because I got, I had the benefit of learning about one for a year and a half and now I have a hundred more, you know, at the same time. Right. Um, but our medical directors are great and they're teaching us not that, not that we, you know, do patient care, but, but just to know, I actually did go back to school at UCLA to become an EMT last year, uh, just to get basic vernacular and learn about, you know, healthcare a little bit. Our EMS uh, instructor actually joined our board of directors because he said that, you know, we were one of the only teams he had had in his class that actually truly uh, elevated patient care. That's a fabulous connection to the experience that I don't know that there are many CEOs who would step that far out of the role to build a new perspective and a lens to look at the experience through. I think that that's fabulous. In the last 18 months or so, right, it's moving fast. There's a lot that's going on. Not everything goes according to plan. Can you talk a little bit about some of the roadblocks and the challenges that you've had to work through? Sure. Nothing goes according to plan. Um, You know, the ignorance of not having any idea of how health insurance billing works and that that was a beast in and of itself, you know, kind of learning, you know, what partners to use, trying different, different partners. Do you want to do it in-house? Do you want to do it um, outside? Uh, We have a few months ago, we hired a a chief operations officer that has that experience deep and narrow, built two startups for revenue cycle management. So um, thank goodness uh, for him and that he can, um, his name is Peter Yeh, thank goodness for him and that he can take that on because kind of starting that, that having the learning curve there for me, I don't know if it would be the best, you know, use of the company's time and there is no room for a learning curve. Uh, what else didn't, didn't go to plan? I, I would say in the beginning, you know, not being able to get the instruments that that we needed and having to get really, really creative with that um, in a pandemic when everyone was on fire, um, being able to get all the instruments, the amount of componentry it takes to run molecular tests, pipettes, even the foam covers, plates, each instrument has a different kind of plate, each instrument has a different type of pipette, and then the pipette tips, you know, uh, gloves and all of that, but more so like all of the lab equipment and that, you know, I need a fume hood to be compliant. Where do you get that? Oh, guess what? They're out of them everywhere in the country, you know, had to like literally drive to Texas and like find someone that, that had one that they didn't need and pay like four times the price for a used one, but what choice do I have? you know, making some friends, showing up at, at large organizations, um, large publicly traded or publicly traded organizations and sitting outside the CEO's office until they would talk to me. 
to ask, to ask for 10, 10 minutes for some advice. So, you know, you'd be surprised how far you get if you just ask, most people just don't ask, just getting creative like that, you know, and then, and then, and then we got there. Um, we didn't have a sign outside for a year because it just wasn't a priority because we were busy, you know, taking care of patients, just like things like that. Um, figuring every single thing out on our own, you know, software had no idea there was laboratory software until we got here. And then people were like, what are you going to use? And we're like, oh, we need that. So we've gone through a couple of different iterations of that. And, and now we have a CTO that's, that's building everything in-house um, and a hybrid of a couple of other things, but you, know, you just figure it out one step at a time and don't really get, don't worry about, you know, the end, the end, that how to get to the end, just like total stuff, like one, one step at a time. And then if you look up a few weeks later, you're you're somewhere as opposed to nowhere. And as you're growing and building, what's the vision for the future for you and for Gather Labs? What does uh, this become? The vision for Gather Labs is to be, you know, the known go-to for fast, easy, and fun laboratory testing to have to have as many Gather Labs out there as we can, you know, to sort of be like the Apple store of that. So if you need something, you want it today, you want to just talk to someone and not have to like read a lot about it, or if, or if you want to then explore on your phone, like whichever way works for you to be able to know that you could just like go somewhere, get a test done, and then have the results in a few hours, whether it's just for morbid curiosity, whether you want to know what vitamins to take, whether you saw an Instagram ad for turmeric and apple cider vinegar, and you don't know if you really even need that. Like, but maybe there's something else that you need that would make you feel better. There's somewhere you can go to talk to people about that quickly, easily, and in an environment that looks like a spa and saloon. That's fabulous. And the impact and the disruption that you're causing in making this really about a patient experience and not just processing vials of well, blood and other things, right? It, it's about the patient experience at the core. What other areas do you think that that mindset in, in the industry at a larger could be influenced by changing to this patient-centric thinking? Well, I want to I want to just point out that patient-centric and getting the patient their sample sometimes is through the doctor. And that yeah. actually helps the doctor because the doctor medical and, and laboratory are two totally separate things and they work together, but they're not the same company. So for a physician that comes in, the person gets their, their test. They don't know where it's going. They don't know when it's coming back. You know, the doctor's nightmare is the patient calling them and asking them, when is it going to be done? When can I have my results? When can you read me my results? And they're just moving on to the next patient because they're overwhelmed. So for the doctor to know that this is going to get back within a few hours, so you can go ahead and prescribe whatever the patient needs and then get that box completely checked and like move on is better for the physicians as well. It makes their life easier. It makes their work look better because the patient's not asking them like, well, why is it taking so long? Because they don't really know how it works, you know? So, so we make, we make physicians happy. So we say in a way there are patients too. So yeah. So what was the question? Where else in the industry? Yeah. Where else does this mindset have the opportunity to make positive change? I would love women's health to, for every woman to have a safe and easy and fast and fun place to get all the information that she needed and to get everything that she needed. And to not to have a place where there was no stigma on asking questions about anything, about hormones, the time and the different times in your life to be able to get answers to make you feel better for younger women who are teenagers who don't have a place to go to ask questions because of like religious barriers or just not being given a free place to a, a safe space to, to share and ask those questions to remove all of the shame around that. And to give anyone that identifies as a woman a place to get fast and easy and healthcare that doesn't have the shame aspect. And also in LGBT health and also in anyone's health, like you'd be surprised how much 
shame and stigma, there's still, there's still is on that outside of diagnostics. I think that opportunity is huge and that provides the most value because there are segments in this country where women can't get care. There are segments in this country where people who, who make a decent living, but don't have health insurance because they're not in this bracket enough to get this, but they're not in this bracket enough to get this. And so you'd be surprised how many people that are, are hardworking people that do well for themselves that don't have health insurance and don't know where to go. We need to do better with evening that landscape and giving everyone a safe and easy place to go. And I questions and talk them privately and get the care that they need aside from diagnostics, just all of it. That is a fabulous and, and beautiful response to that question. That is the best use of a magic wand any guest has given me. It's very comprehensive and bold. Thank you for that. If you had one piece of advice or one thing that you could share with a person who's starting on an entrepreneurial journey or a desire to disrupt where they're at, what's one thing that you wish you had known at a point earlier in your life? Number one, you should do it. If you have that feeling in your stomach that has to come out, start from there. It starts from, it starts from the idea. It starts from this thing that's in here that has to come out or you feel like your soul is going to die. It does not start from, I want to be an entrepreneur because I heard that that was glamorous and saw it on Silicon Valley and want to work for myself because it's easier. It comes from the product service or idea. So when you have that feeling and it starts to boil up so much that it has to come out, like I've run screaming out of a corporate job because I literally felt my soul was going to die because this thing has to happen. So it has to start from the idea, not from the lifestyle. If you have that, then you have to act on it. It's your duty, you know, as a human to, to help one another, know that it's going to be harder than you think, know that it's going to be harder than having a corporate job. You're going to work more hours than in a corporate job, but it's going to be more flexible. Like you're going to have, you're going to have more freedom. Uh, it doesn't matter when you get it done, as long as you get it done. And that has to be a comfort zone for you. And it's not for everyone. Your primary skill set of, you know, what your, what, what, what your idea is usually comes from a primary skill set is going to be 10% of your job. You need to know legal and finance or you can't be a good founder and CEO. If your answer is I can hire that, you know, yes, maybe a little later, but you're not going to be able to manage your team unless you know it decently yourself and you can't run a company unless you know the story of your numbers. And even if it's really simple, the ins, the outs, the equals, just start there and grow and grow it as grow it as you come because you literally cannot build a successful business without knowing your numbers and, and legal and finance. And marketing is everything. You can have the greatest product in the entire world. I'm sure there are some of the greatest products in the entire world that we will never hear about because brand awareness and telling the world that they exist is even more important than, than the products. And we've definitely all seen some products with some guns of and marketing that we're a little sick of, or the product's not so great. So when you have that good, that great magic idea, just find a way to have some grassroots girl and get your friends to help do whatever you can to tell the world that, that it exists and welcome to the journey and the most fulfilling you know, ride you'll ever go on because there's no more fulfilling thing than to, to live your truth and to know that you took the risk. Rachel, that's a great big bite of advice. There's lots of layers in that. Thank you for sharing that. But you, the, if you have the feeling in your gut, you've got to act on it. But at the end of the day, if you're going to step into that role, one in the beginning, it is not glamorous. It is hard work and long hours and late nights as you mature into it, knowing your numbers is the number one key to your success as an entrepreneur. And until you know those numbers, you should not be hiring somebody else to do that because there are so many stories that will tell you about that somebody else taking gross advantage of the business. 
thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with me today. As we wrap up, where are the the best places for people to reach out and find you? What's the website for the lab? Where are you on social media? Yeah, sure. The lab website is gatherlabs.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn under Rachel McCrary. If it's hard to find, just go to the Gather Labs page on, on LinkedIn. On Instagram, it's Gather Labs. And then mine is NYC Bella. If you have any questions or comments or just want to talk about being an entrepreneur or what you're scared of or what you love, just reach out. And anyone in, in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills, if you want to talk about anything about diagnostics, we always have an open space to, to share and to, and to talk. Just come by and see us and talk to us at the counter. We're at Robertson Boulevard in Beverly Hills. Absolutely fabulous. All of the links to all of the socials and everything will be in the notes for, the, for this episode. Thank you all for joining us. Don't get left behind. Join me next time. That's it for today's episode of Disrupt and Innovate. Head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Every single week, one lucky listener that posts a review on iTunes will win the grand prize drawing, a $15,000 private VIP day with Lisa Levy. And be sure to head over to disruptandinnovate.com and get your free copy of Lisa's gift. And join us on our next episode. Disrupt and Innovate.